You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and analyst for MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. On today's show, we're going to talk about the amazing Shohei Otani. We're going to talk about how the Brewers have surged to the top of the NL Central. We are going to talk about the cool thing that Edwin Diaz is doing, the possible way to protect the home run derby. We actually have a guest this week. Our friend and colleague, Xavier Scruggs, is all over the place. I'm really excited to talk about him. First, Matt, I have to ask you a question. Do you remember Esky Magic? Does that mean anything to you? Uh, like, is it like Alcides Escobar and sort of how he got a bunch of big hits, even though he wasn't that good of a hitter? Is that right? In 2015, and, you know, for most of the years around that, when the Royals won the World Series, Alcides Escobar was a deeply terrible hitter. He had a 293 on base, a 614 OPS, and yet the Royals insisted on hitting him leadoff every day anyway because they insisted he did something magic, some sort of esky magic. And he wasn't actually that good of a hitter, was not in the big leagues over the last two years, but he got called up, actually traded for by the Nationals a couple of days ago because Trey Turner was hurt. Last night, Alcides Escobar, once again hitting leadoff, got on base twice, and the Nationals scored 15 runs. <laughs> so maybe that is esky magic. I, I Listen, I believe in magic. I mean, I've seen Shohei Otani do enough stuff this year that how could I not believe in magic? Have you noticed Shohei Otani? Is that, has, have we talked about him enough? Like my, this isn't our rant, like we'll get to our rants, but one of my early rants is people say, well, we don't talk about Otani enough. And it's like, where are you looking? All we do is talk about Otani. The man, the man is insane. I just, I just wrote 6,000 words on Otani and I probably could have done 10,000 10, more. Uh, I, I agree. I mean, like you could say we can't talk, en- talk enough about Otani, um, which might be true, but that doesn't mean we're not talking about Otani, uh, and we're talking about him a lot. And it's incredible, like they're kind of running out of things to say. Like every day, he does something new. Like yesterday, he set the record for most home runs in a season by a Japanese-born player with his thirty-second home run, passing Hideki Matsui, who hit thirty-one home runs. We're halfway through the season. Hideki Matsui did it over the course of a full season. <laughs> it what is if just he hit like sixty. Uh, what if he hit sixty? He's also also the first player to have thirty two homers and twelve stolen bases before the All Star break. He could hit sixty. That this, I mean, it's. I mean, he's got fifteen homers in his last twenty games. He's not going to keep that up, I don't think. But at this point, would anything surprise you? He, he. There are so many things. Like, and I tried to squeeze as many of them into this article I wrote as I possibly could. But I'm just going to give you like my main favorite takeaway, like the best stats I found. And there are two of them. Number one is is simple. He's leading the major leagues in home runs right now. He's hitting more home runs than anybody else while also pitching, which is cool. But I I wanted to look at his split fingered fastball because it's just so ridiculously dominant. Like he's thrown it about 400 times in his career and has not yet allowed a home run on it. So what I did was we have pitch tracking back to 2008 and I looked at every single pitch type, pitcher and pitch type combination that have been thrown 400 times back to 2008. And we're talking like 7,500 different kinds of pitches. And if you look at all of those pitches by lowest weighted on base, he has the third most dominating pitch on record. And the two guys above him were lefties. So he has the most dominating right-handed pitch ever. I see you Mets fan who complained about not Jacob deGrom's fastball or whatever when I tweeted about this. I get it. I'm just going telling you what the numbers say. Uh, he has hit the ball harder than any lefty on record. He has the most dominating right-handed pitch on record. And if we're not talking about him enough, well, blame the Angels because they stink again. I don't know what to say about that. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Okay, we're going to move on into our three batter minimum. Matt, I know you were on vacation last week and David Adler did a nice job filling in for you here. Did you notice what happened in the NL Central? Did you notice that the Brewers had won 11 in a row and the Cubs had lost 11 in a row? And now the Brewers of all teams have the second largest divisional lead in baseball. They have six games up. Uh, Only the White Sox have eight games up or more. The Brewers... I have to say, who I did pick to win the National League Central this year, I'm sorry, Cardinals fans, but it's true, have basically taken over the division. If you look at Fangraph's division odds from three weeks ago, yeah, that Brewers 45%, Cubs 31%, Reds and and Cardinals a little behind that now, 85% for the Brewers, 11% for the Reds, Cardinals and Cubs 
basically dead in the water. I know you were high on the Reds. I kind of was too, but we're, this is over, right? Like, can we say it's done? The Brewers have this division? Over? I'm not going to say it's over, but yeah, they certainly... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're certainly in the, over. The, in the proverbial uh, cat team. I'm still not sure. Like, I look at their roster. I mean, they're obviously... Their starting pitching is excellent. Their bullpen is excellent. I get it, but I look at their lineup, and I'm still just kind of... I kind of am left wanting more um but i mean the thing with the cubs is the cubs might at this point might sell because they were kind of expecting to maybe be sellers this year anyway so at this point now that they've like dropped out of it they could do that um they're clearly not worried about fan backlash after the darvish trade last offseason <laughs> um so i think chris, i think chris bryan getting traded is a is a distinct possibility um the reds i i like that reds roster but yeah the, the depth is just uh, i it's probably not enough to make up a six game gap i won't say it's over the Brewers, man, the thing that, when I look at the Brewers that blows my mind is that Willie Adamas has 14 home runs. It's it's like they're, they're getting contributions from players that you maybe didn't really expect to be as good as they were. Adamas being one who they traded for midseason. Omar Narvaez, who's been very good. We talked about him in a podcast a couple weeks ago. Um you know, you to, for the Brewers to be doing what they're doing, you would have expected Christian Yel- vintage Christian Yelich to return, but he's He's selecting 379. He's not been – I mean, he's getting on base. He's walking a lot, and that's about it. So it's it's pretty impressive what they're doing. Um, also factoring Keston here being a huge disappointment again. I don't really understand how they're doing it, but I guess it's like – it's that pitching. It's interesting to me because coming into the season, we all expected the Brewers to have very good pitching, and they have. Uh, the trio of Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta and Brandon, Brandon Woodruff have almost 300 innings of a 2.22 ERA, which is nuts. And Josh Hader has three earned runs in 33 and two-thirds innings. And do you know who Jake Cousins is? I didn't an hour ago, but in uh, his first six games, no no runs, 12 strikeouts. He's someone they rescued out of indie ball, which is something the Brewers have done a couple of times now. But here's the thing that interested me. Coming into the season, we thought the pitching would be great, and it has been. We thought the offense would be mediocre, and it has been. But the shape of the mediocre offense has not kind of gone the way I thought it would. Like I looked at this roster, and I said, man, this infield stinks. Uh, but the outfield, the outfield's going to be pretty good. I like Jackie Bradley, and you'll have Kane back, and Yelich will be back. Well, the infield has been the 13th best infield just, just by hitting, not fielding. And the outfield has been the third worst because Bradley has been awful. And Yelich has been okay, and Kane wasn't that good before he got hurt. Did you realize only four times all season long have they been able to roll out Yelich and left, Kane and center, and Bradley and right? That's that's it, because Yelich was hurt, and Kane's been hurt, and that is the question I pose to you, because don't forget, they've also got Avisiel Garcia. If you need to acquire a bat, and, and they do, like obviously they've gone out and gotten Willie Adamas and they traded for Rowdy Telez. Where they need the help seems like the outfield, but also I don't think you actually bench any of those guys. You know, So do you just say, well, screw it, we'll go get the third baseman we probably needed in the first place? That's a really good question. Um I guess they could they could go get a, they could go get a right-handed out, outfielder, you know, with 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 Bradley. Not that they, not that they're really going to platoon Yelich, but you could see a world, especially since you know Kane has had some injury issues. Like you could see a world in which, like, okay, if we could get a right-handed outfielder, and I'm not sure exactly who that would be, but they, that could fit on that that could fit on that that roster. They're certainly not going to get Chris Bryant because I can't imagine they'd go and trade the Cubs would trade him uh, in the division like that to kind of one of their rivals. But uh, it's an interesting question. Yeah, what they really need is a right-handed hitting first baseman. So maybe a reunion with Jesus Aguiar. I, CJ Crone would be a, a great fit, except I'm, I'm not sure the phones are still connected at Coors Field right now. So that might be a little difficult. All right. Our second topic here, Edwin Diaz. And can I give you just like the hottest of hot takes? One that I'm going to say for jokes now and will almost certainly regret in like two years. Sure. The Mets won the Kellenic trade. Okay. <laughs> Hear me out. Kalnick looked terrible when he was up with the Mariners, and I get it. Like he'll be fine. That's just like a, a rookie blip, right? And Diaz looked, you know, Mets fans hated him at first because he was terrible in his first year with the Mets. Over the last two years, over t- partial 2020 and 2021, he's got a 243 ERA. And this year he's been phenomenal. He hasn't allowed a home run this year. Like he the Mets bullpen has been pretty decent. They are 35 and 9 when they score first. They're doing a good job of holding leads. The Mets won the trade. Prove me wrong. <laughs> I mean, I actually don't think it's that hot of a take to say. I mean, like, but you know, uh, we'll we'll see in a couple. Of weeks. If, if if Jared Kelnick makes like six straight All Star games, we'll see. But you know, <laughs> I mean, this is what happens with trades like this, right? You 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 maybe give up. It's it's like a it's almost like um uh taking a loan or like you know you know you're you are 
giving up maybe giving up something down the line that might be worth a lot more for like some something certain right now, right? And so they're they, that's kind of what they did. And Diaz, and this is kind of what I wanted to, why I want to talk about him, has been kind of remarkable the last three years and an amazing case, an amazing case study and why like peripheral stats matter and why you should care about peripheral stats. As you mentioned, the home runs. In his last 47 innings, he has not allowed, it was going back to last year, he has not allowed a home run, which is the longest active streak in the majors. Why is this notable? Because in 2019 and early 2020, his first year and change with the Mets, all he did was give up home runs. In 2019, he gave up 15 home runs in 58 innings. In 2020, he gave up two home runs in his first 13 innings. So that was 17 home runs in his first 71 innings pitch. And I'm not saying this is all a fluke. Like if you look at his heat maps, like particularly his first year with the Mets, he was hanging his slider. Like the, the, the slider is left over the middle of the plate way too often. However, if you go by expected weight on base, which is sort of like factors in quality of contact and, you know, strikeout rate, walk, walk rate, basically what should his, his weight on base against have been based on the quality of contact and his strikeouts and his walks? In 2019, it was 263. In 2020, it was 242. And this year, it's 265, actually higher than in 2019, the year that everyone was like, this guy's a disaster. What are the Mets doing? So the reality is that the truth was always somewhere in between. Like he probably wasn't as good as his, he was in his last year with the Mariners, but he certainly was not bad as he was in his first year with the Mets. And he's now leveled off at like a nice, you know, space in between in which, yeah, he still has some command issues. He's not perfect, but he's like one of the 10 best relievers in baseball. I think so. I'm glad you brought up 2019, by the way, because when you talk about giving up homers in 2019, the first thought you have is, oh, that was the year played with the Powerball and everybody hit home runs. And that's true a little bit, but he did hang his slider because I remember looking into it at the time. Nobody had any confidence in Wilson Ramos to actually catch anything low, <laughs> so he wasn't doing it. And now, you know, I'm not the world's biggest fan of James McCann necessarily, but he and Tomas Nito are certainly better defenders than Wilson Ramos is. And what's interesting to me is the shape of his success has changed. Like that first year with the Mets, right? Yeah, 39% strikeout rate. That's really good. And he allowed a 46% hard hit rate, which is deeply terrible. You know, last year, the strikeout rate went up and a hard hit rate went down a little bit. This year, he has cut the hard hit rate like in half. And he is now one of the best in the league at avoiding hard hit contact. His strikeout rate is down, right? And not that 33% is bad. It's still quite good. But it's just fascinating to me to see how different of a pitcher he's become. Oh, by the way, he's also throwing harder. 99 miles an hour average on his fastball. We are going to move on. To our third topic here, and if you're wondering why we're speed doing this, it's because Matt did forget the power cord on his computer this morning. I'm sorry, Matt. Everybody likes to know how the sausage is made. Hey, the home run derby field is set, right? Are you excited to see Shohei Otani in the home run derby? I am. It's going to be a lot of fun. The field is out, and um, I think it's really good. Like I was the last name, I think, to get announced was Joey Gallo, and I'm so happy to see Joey Gallo in a home run derby in Coors Field. It's all I've ever wanted. And I wanted to talk briefly about a potential way to predict who is going to win. Um, first of all, there are some changes to the Derby this year, right? Uh, there will not be a humidor in use in Coors Field. They will go with the rock hard power balls that we used to have in like 1998, because why not? It's a home run Derby. Now, I think people think that means we're going to see a record number of home runs, and I disagree. Part of that is because uh, there's less time this year. It's three minutes in the first two rounds down from four. Everyone does get a bonus 30 seconds. I, I think people forget just how massive Coors Field is. It is the largest outfield in baseball. Um, but what I think is going to happen is we're going to see someone on a warm night, it's supposed to be 94 there on Monday, with a non-humidored baseball destroy a ball like 500 and 20 feet. The longest tracked home run derby homer since StatCast began in 2015 was 513 by Aaron Judge in 2017. The longest tracked regular season home run was Nomar Mazara in 2019. And you might be like, wait, really? Not not Stan, not Judge, Nomar Mazara. Uh, if you go back and watch that ball, there, the uh, it was incredibly windy in Dallas and to the point that a windstorm had broken the windshield, uh, not the windshield, but they had like this wind screen in right field and there was like this incredible jet stream. Um, so that's going to be fun. And I think watching Otani and Gallo and Matt Olson and all these guys and Juan Soto and Big Pete hitting non-humidor baseballs, uh, we'll see someone maybe top, I don't know, 520. I don't think it's really possible barring a hurricane force wind to hit one past. 525. No, Mickey Mantle did not hit at 565. That didn't happen. Here's my prediction part. 
I went back. So we've had five home run derbies uh, since StatCast came into being in 2015. Obviously, we didn't have one last year. And I have found one thing that every single year, if you look at the first half stats of the participants, has sent a guy to the finals. And I was shocked at how simple it was. I thought it would be scientific, right? I thought it would be, you know, barrel rate or home runs per swing or something like that. No, every single year, the hitter with the first half highest home run exit velocity makes the finals. Whoever hits their home runs the hardest, not the furthest, not the highest, just the hardest has made the finals every single year. In 2015, it was Jock Peterson. He made the finals. The next year it was Stanton and he won. The next year it was Judge and he won. In 2018, it was Schwarber, and he made the finals. He lost to Harper, who had the second hardest hit home runs. And in 2019, it was Pete Alonso, who was tied, and he won. And going into 2021, of our eight participants, as we sit here on Thursday morning, who has the hardest hit home runs? It's not Big Pete. It's not Joey Gallo. Shohei Otani. This story could not get any cooler until he wins the home run derby and then starts on the mound the next day. I don't know if he's going to start, but just imagine that. Like, how do you make this story bigger? Because he's not going to the World Series. That. Tell me we're going to see that. I I mean, Otani's the – like, all that matters for the home run derby is that Otani's in it, right? That's like – that's the only thing that matters. I, I love the fact that Gallo came in at the end because he's a guy – I've been – I'm a huge Joey Gallo fan going back years. I have always been a <laughs> – have a soft spot for the, like, the 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 – extreme three true outcomes players like Russell Brannion was once a favorite of mine, Adam Dunn. So like, I love Joey Gallo. I'm loving to see him in the Derby. Uh, an Otani Gallo final would be great. I actually think, you know, who I think it was, it's my sort of dark, not, I don't know, dark horse. You have a dark horse in the home run Derby is, uh, is Matt Olson. I just think he has sort of that like effortless, more effortless swing where I could see him like getting in a groove of like, Oh, I'm just going to hit 10 straight four, four balls, 430 feet. Um, but in terms of, peak distance, Otani and Gallo, those are the guys I'm watching to see if they could go uh, 520. I don't think it's been announced yet who each of the eight guys will have throwing to them, um, but I believe that Juan Soto is going to have Kevin Long, who is the hitting coach for, for Washington, and he's a lefty, right? So he's going to have a platoon disadvantage <laughs> at the home run derby, which is meaningless, but I just thought it was funny. We are going to take a quick break, and we will be back for a chat with Xavier Scrubs. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. We have a really interesting guest with us that I'm excited to spend a few minutes with. Xavier Scruggs is a former big league veteran. And, you know, Xavier, before I go through like the list of things you're doing, I kind of want to ask you just like a big picture question. I remember you coming up through the Cardinal system and getting some time there with Miami. And I remember you going to Korea and performing really well there. Uh, and then I, I think I lost track of you for a little bit, but it seems to me like over the last four months or so, I have seen your name literally everywhere. You have been on ESPN. You did a lot of the KBO games last year and, and some major league games this year. I heard you on MLB Network Radio like 30 minutes ago. Uh, you've got your own podcast now, what we're going to get to in a minute called The Bigs, and a, a cool new job with the Cardinals. And just the entirety of all that, like going from you were an active player not that long ago 
to having like six different media jobs. First of all, welcome. And second of all, how did that all come together? Like all of these things in such a short time? (laughs) Well, first and foremost, thank you for having me on here. Uh, For me, you know, media and that transition outside of baseball was something that I had always thought of heavily ever since I was even in high school and in college, just because it was something my parents always instilled in me was like, hey, baseball is not a forever thing. It is a priority, but don't think of it as a forever lasting thing. And I think that's what always encouraged me to think about what the next thing was. And something that my father-in-law always mentions to me is, hey, you played I'm 32 years old. He said, hey, you played three innings of your nine inning life career wise. Right. So three innings was was uh, I'm up until 30, 32 years old. What else are you going to do with the next six innings of your life? And I always that always resonated with me. So I continue to think about, okay, what is that next step? And media was something I was always attracted to. I always loved talking about baseball. I always loved the underlining stories. I always loved listening to what you guys do, both writing and audio-wise and video-wise. All those things attracted me so much. And that was just something I knew I wanted to get into because for me, having played the game, I have an insight as to some of those things, those little nuances that a lot of people may not share so much about, but I can go and and find those things out and I can bring those things out to life and I can bring them on a platform for everybody. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I I do want to start off first with the new podcast that you have here uh, at MLB.com called The Bigs, which is promoted as the first player to player podcast. And you've had some really impressive guests so far. Jack Flaherty, Tommy Pham, David Price, Colton Wong, Trey Mancini, I believe is in your next upcoming episode. I I assume most of these guys, like obviously Flaherty and Pham uh, came up in the, and Wong came up in the Cardinal system. You have a personal connection to some of these guys. Uh, But I, I imagine they really enjoy getting to talk to someone, you know, unlike like me, someone who was on the field and had these real experiences. Well, that's what's so special about it is a lot of these guys I do have relationships with, but then also I've built so many relationships within the game because I understood how important those were. People always used to tell me guys that had left the game, guys that retired, hey, X, those relationships are the one thing that you'll never forget. Those are the things that you should concentrate while you're in the game. And I wanted to build those things up because I understood how important those things became to me personally, but then how important it was for me outside of the game. And so now that I've gotten an opportunity to talk to so many guys, it's like they're able to be open with me. They're able to reveal things that I would never even imagine. And that's what's so special about this podcast, The Bigs, is MLB.com and specifically Ian Kay and uh, Alicia Mullen have given me a great opportunity to have a platform to bring these guys on and to be able to talk about so many of their experiences both on and off the field and how family interactions and dynamics affect them on the field and what they go through during an off season and some of those things that go on in a clubhouse that we don't get to always hear about. So I think those little interactions, those little insights become that much more important and revealing when it does come from somebody who's played the game and has built relationships within the game like that. Yeah, I'm glad you you spoke about it like that in terms of, you know, who you shared the clubhouse with and the relationships you built cuz I was I was looking at your your career stats earlier and you played in 50 games, which is a 50 more than I'll ever play in, but is not like a 15-year career, but in that time, you shared lineups with some of the most amazing names in baseball, Ichiro, Yadi Molina, Stanton Yelich, Fernandez, Adam Wainwright, like Hayward or Almuto and Fam, like in a relatively brief time, you were in there in the locker room and in the lineups with like some of the biggest names of the last, you know, 40 years of baseball, uh, did that, that ever stand out to you? Like, wow, look at all of these amazing guys, these stars that I got to, you know, maybe get to know a little bit and maybe not, but at least share a lineup with. Yeah, Mike, really, that that's that's what hit me every single day is I always felt like almost like I was chasing that greatness, right? I was looking at who's to the right of me and my my locker next to me was Yachty while I was in the big leagues with the Cardinals. And then to the left, I got Adam Wainwright, Matt Holliday, um, you know, guys that have been in this game for a long period of time. And then you think about with the Marlins, like some of the names that you mentioned, Ozuna, Mike, uh, Giancarlo Stanton, Yelich, and Jose Fernandez at the time. Barry Bonds was my hitting coach. So 
just looking around and Mattingly being the managers, just looking around and all the names that I was surrounded with, I understood greatness was around me. And I understood I didn't want to take that for granted. I wanted to soak up every little piece of information that I could. And that came from both the game and outside of the game. I wanted to know what everybody, what made everybody so good, what motivated everybody. Because we all know that greatness is separated by something small and something intangible. And I wanted to know what those things were. And I think that helped propel me for things outside of the game because that's that same drive that you have to have in every single profession, right? You have to want to figure out what's that thing that's going to separate me. And I think that's something that I really grasped from all of the people that I played with, all the people that I was around. And that's something I will never take for granted. I want to go back real quick to something you just said. So you were first with the Cardinals in 2014. That was seven years ago. At that time, that was already Yadi Molina's 11th year in the bigs. So he was already like capital letters, Yadi Molina. <laughs> they, they put your locker right next to him as a rookie right there? Right next to Yadi or Molina. <laughs> and, and that's what, and that, that was another thing that, that motivated me too, right? Because the rookies, they get there earlier than everybody, right? But still, I'm supposed to be the first one. And then this dude, Yadi, what, what are you doing at the field at 1130 for a 7 p.m. game? <laughs> I'm like, man, how early do I need to get to the field? Because I don't want to look bad. But that was just the mentality amongst a lot of those veteran guys. They had already built that standard, that foundation in that Cardinals organization. So I got a great piece to learn from all of that. Now, in addition to all the amazing, the variety of players you played with, you also had a uh, unique experience playing internationally. You played in the Mexican League and you played in Korea. And I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about your experience in the KBO because, you know, in, in recent years, we've seen a lot of players, not just Korean players, come over here, but also players go to the KBO and American players go to the KBO and come back and play in MLB. What for for fans unfamiliar with the game there, what would you say is kind of like the biggest difference in the way the game is played and how would you compare it in terms of like the level of play to what you see in the United States? Yeah, Matt, that's a great question. And, and first and foremost, it's a party over there, Matt. Every single game over there in Korea and goes for Japan, too. I've been over there and, and I didn't play there, but I saw the culture and been experiencing the baseball over there. That is a party. Every the culture they come to the game to release so much stress from from work life balance and whatnot. They just go all out. There's songs going on the whole game. People are dancing. Every player has a certain dance for them. Every player has a certain song for them. It doesn't matter if it's ten nothing. You could be winning ten nothing and they're still dancing and cheering just as loud, or you could be losing ten nothing and your home crowd is still dancing and cheering for you. So it's such a it's such an amazing atmosphere fooled with so much energy you won't catch people on their phone texting during the middle of the game no because that means they're missing a dance so that's the type of energy that you get over there as far as atmosphere wise and the fan interaction is so is so special so compassionate after every single game there would be hundreds of fans running up to me and, and multiple other players just trying to get a selfie, trying to get an autograph. And it was like the fan experience was was like no other. And it was an opportunity for me to have fun in a different culture, change my perspective on things, because a lot of times to change your perspective, you have to step outside of your comfort zone. And that's what I did in Korea. And then to mention the baseball, I would say it's compared a little bit more, but to triple to A area, maybe um, maybe you have a little bit of teams that might be double A type. But what I have to say about that, the um, the the way they do it over there is it's continuing to get better. It's continuing because you're seeing major league guys now going over to Korea. So that competition is naturally getting better. Guys from Japan are coming over to Korea. So seeing that culture and how much it's grown within that baseball side has been amazing for me to see. Yeah, I think all of us really paid a lot more attention to the KBO last year when the majors hadn't started yet right. and the KBO was going and it was really like the only game in town. And by town, I mean the planet at that point. And I think one of the uh, one of the breaks you got was when ESPN started doing the KBO games. You know, you got to go on and uh, do a lot of the broadcasting. And since I've been fortunate enough to do some ESPN shows, too, we, we probably know a lot of the same people in terms of on-air talent and producers. But the one thing you've done that I have never done is you had to do these games at like three o'clock in the morning. I think like I'd wake <laughs> up with my kids and catch the last inning you know, at like 630. What, what is that like? Like how much does that mess with your internal clock there? 
Oh, man. First and foremost, you're absolutely right. ESPN, without them showing KBO games, there is no break onto that television side for me um, because that's where I started. And having the opportunity to talk about my experiences, uh, first and foremost, for like 10, 15 minutes on a broadcast and then get into the broadcasting, that was something that I could have never imagined. But to be able to do it, you know, at three, four o'clock in the morning, I think that was something that, you know, whether or not it messed with the internal time clock, of course it did. I had to get the nap in the middle of the day at least, but that was something that motivated me to say, okay, this is something that I can do that maybe not a lot of people are able to do. Maybe this is something that, you know, they need, they need me to jump on. Of course, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say yes. And I get to talk about something that I love baseball and, and having those experiences in that culture and, and at those stadiums and, and in those cities, like that was really fun for me. So whether or not it was at three o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, it was still going to be just as much fun. I just had to be a little bit more quieter because I got two kids of my own and I didn't <laughs> want to wake them up in the middle of the night. Cause then I know it's going to be trouble with mama. So I had to be smart about it. I had to, hey, keep the voice down just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know how your house is set up, but uh, where I am here, the uh, the baby sleeps like right on the other side of this wall here. <laughs> yes, I'm very uh, familiar. I, I wanted. To, I mean, we've got so many media jobs as we talked about, but um, you've also got a new job with your former team in St. Louis, and you've been hired um, as a as a DEI consultant, like a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. And I've seen you tweet like that you believe the Cardinals are kind of at the forefront. So I was hoping you could help explain to everybody like what does that entail, and what are you you know hoping to help the young guys with coming from you know your perspective as someone who was there. Yes, and I think you just kind of touched on it. Is is you know being being someone that the young guys can go to, right? And and this job started back in January, and it was something that me and John Mosellac, the GM, had talked to for a long time. The the president of baseball operations had talked to for a long time about, okay, what are the best ways about developing a position like this that will allow people to understand, hey, it doesn't matter what background you come from, what race, ethnicity, gender – you have value in the organization. You should feel like you should be able be able to succeed. You should feel like you have a voice. You should feel like you have a platform. And I think a lot of the things that happened in 2020 relating with politics, relating with social injustice issues, um, you, you know, there was so many different issues, COVID, so many different issues in 2020, which I felt like players didn't necessarily have all the information that they deserved. And I felt like, okay, let me first educate myself on a lot of these things. So for me, it was about going back to school and studying some human resources, studying some diversity, equity, inclusion, um, studying a lot of those different issues so I could educate myself first and then be able to say, okay, maybe this is something I could help provide for those players, coaches, and staff within an organization so they have a better understanding of how to go about certain things, whether it be current events, whether it be about diving into the community and helping your community and reaching different markets as an organization. All those things become so much more important, especially in today's age of our game. So I wanted to be able to help an organization do that And what better organization than the organization that helped develop me from a young boy to a man? And I felt like for me to have that conversation with Mosaic and say, hey, this is something. At first, I asked him, is this something that the organization has a, a player, somebody who has played the game? going back and being able to provide information, be able to be a resource for a lot of these players, coaches, and staff when it comes to these issues. And he said, X, you know what? You're right. We don't have that. And I felt like that was important because a lot of times we always have maybe a social media manager, right? A communications, uh, a head of communications that are able to talk about certain issues, but it's more in a negative tone. Like, hey, we don't want you to do this. We don't think it's right for you to do that. But no, I want to be a positive influence on these kids, a positive influence on these coaches and everybody in the organization to say, hey, you have a voice. You should feel like you should can succeed. You have a platform. You don't have to be an advocate for everything, but let me give you information to how people can respond positively about certain situations and negatively. So there's always going to be some type of response when you put yourself out there as a player, as a coach, as a staff member, but understand what the, what comes with all of that. Among the guests you've had on your podcast have been some of the more outspoken players um, 
uh, in MLB over the last year, especially as it, as it relates to the Black Lives Matter movement. What was like? What was your reaction to baseball's, you know, the, the player statements last year? And were you surprised by the way players spoke out uh, during the 2020 season and since? I wasn't surprised because I was I was a part of the um, the players alliance and I was a part of the the group chats going on and that's one thing that motivated me to want to be in a position to help players right so I felt like I'm looking at the chat and there's a lot of misunderstanding between organization even front office and the players and I'm like there's a disconnect there. I need to be able to help bridge that gap. And so that's what uh, that's what urged me to be able to, hey, go to the Cardinals about a position like this because I saw all of that going on and a lot of questions from a lot of these players. And I wanted to be able to, you know, with diversity, equity, and inclusion, a lot of times we think of diversity, right? Bringing in the certain numbers, bringing in uh, a certain minority, uh, making sure we hit the quotas. But for me, it's about that inclusion part, making sure everybody's a part of the conversation. So for the Players Alliance, that was something that all the minorities were involved in the conversation. I said, no, somebody's got to bridge the gap and allow people to understand, hey, this isn't just a minority thing. Everybody has to have a voice when we talk about these issues. And so that's why that became so much more important for me during that time. And then also to hit on your point as uh, how they reacted, I was happy with the way they reacted, but I felt like there needed to be more unity. I felt I felt like there needed to be a, a statement that was said you know, amongst all of MLB more consistently. Um, and everybody needs to be on the right page with that. I'm not saying everybody has to be an advocate. Everybody has to take a knee during a national anthem. No, I just want MLB and all the players to be on the right page. Yeah, I don't think I knew you were a, a part of the Players Alliance. That's another job you have. I really like what they're doing. Like, I, I think their message is powerful and the way they're approaching it uh, is is the right way. And it's been really effective. Before we let you go, I had one last question I wanted to ask you. Uh, well, actually, too, by the way, I, I really like what you've done with the swag report, by the way, on MLB <laughs> Network Radio. And I bring that up because you do it with Danny Wexelman, who was uh, the first producer of this podcast, the previous iteration of it back yeah. in 2015. So we have we have lots of love for Danny Wex over here. Here's a question I had for you, though. You tweeted a couple of weeks ago, or I guess in April now, and I, I completely agree with you here. You said, I live for the personalities in this game. And you kind of looked back in the 80s and 90s and you said, let's not forget guys like Ricky Henderson, who popped the collar after hitting a homer and Ozzie Smith doing backflips on the field and Albert Bell for I'm shivering a second baseman and no one said anything. And I agree with almost all of that. But wait a minute, Albert Bell <laughs> knocking Fernando Vina into the next time zone. <laughs> I feel like people would say something about that. That happened today. <laughs> do you know the story behind that, by the way? Do you know why oh, that happened? Man. Do, I, do, I, I feel like I, rem, I, I don't remember. I, I know somebody has told me. Can you re- refresh he, my memory? His, he, uh, Bell earlier in the game had not broken up the double play, and his first base coach then gave him a really hard time, time about it. And he's uh. like, you, be, you better do this better this time. And I don't think anybody expected him to you know, hit him into the next dimension or anything. <laughs> That was wild, but if but if you think about it today, you're you're right. There w- there would be some real repercussions for that today. But I feel like the game. I just love seeing the personalities brought out within the game, and a lot of times we try to to you know maximize all these little things, a bat flip and and whatnot. And I'm like, dude, just let the guys be be who they are because we can't be especially now me transition onto the media side we can't say hey we want to hear more about the inside of the game and, and have you speak out more and show more personality and energy but then get on these guys when they actually do so so i i just don't want us to play like the middle in, in between it's either we all we go all in or we say you know back to the unwritten rules you know what i'm saying yeah, I said I was going to let you go, but I'm going to ask you this anyway. Do you think even just since you played, which you know wasn't that long ago, you were in the majors, the the perception of all that has changed? Like it seems to me that the fun police are sort of dying out, and now, like when, for example, you know, your mean Mercedes hits a home run off a three zero pitch, the the backlash, at least like in my circles, was not against him; it was against Tony Larusa for being upset that something cool happened. You know, or right. when Tatis bat flips into the sun he's on every social media platform like it does seem to me like that has changed a lot for the better in the last couple of years and I, i'm curious if you've seen it that way as well yeah definitely have seen it that way and i think that's what's so special about our game is you know 
we're just now touching the surface of bringing out more energy and more personalities. Like this has been such an old school game and for great reason, right? It's America's pastime, but think about how great now it is to have that transition for guys to be able to show a little bit more of that personality. I I just recently saw an article on ESPN, June Lee, um, talking about uh, Pete Alonso's bats that he's going to use for the home run derby, all eight of them being different, um, different styles and, and from a different artist. Like, that's the stuff that I want to be able to see more in this game. And I think back like a couple of years ago, you think about uh, a Yasiel Puig, like think about all the stuff that he was doing and how shunned he, he was and how looked down upon for all of those things that he was doing. And then now today it would, it would be on the, the front page of everything, right? It would be highlighted. It would be so exciting within our game. And I think you just think back, it was just a few years ago when those things were really frowned upon. And I think, that's now the changing of our game. We're just now hitting the surface. It's going to be amazing down the line. Xavier Scruggs is our guest. He can be found pretty much everywhere. He's on ESPN. He's on MLB Network Radio. He is the host of The Bigs Podcast here at MLB.com, which I strongly encourage you to check out on Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. Xavier underscore Scruggs on most major social media networks. Xavier, really appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. Thanks so much. Hey, right, thanks for having me, everybody. Take it easy. We'll be right back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. We are back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello and Matt Myers are sincere thanks to Xavier Scruggs, who was really fascinating. I enjoyed talking to him a lot. Make sure you check him out everywhere. Matt and I each like to end the show with a look at a guy you should know a little more about and then our rant and rave. My guy is going to be about uh, an Angels starting pitcher who is not Shohei Otani. Uh, the Angels have had massive pitching problems for years. This is why Trout never gets to the playoffs. This is part of why Otani won't get there this year. But they have someone finally who I find pretty interesting, and that is Patrick Sandoval. He is 24 years old. He actually grew up in Orange County and went to a ton of Angels games as a kid, although I think he was more of a Dodger fan. Uh, He was drafted by the Angels out of USC, excuse me, by the Astros in 2015 out of USC and was traded to the Angels in 2018 for Martin Maldonado. And over the last two years, he wasn't super interesting. In 2019, ERA north of five in 39 innings. And in 2020, ERA north of five in 36 innings. And this year is better, 386 ERA in 49 innings. That's good. But what drew him to me was this leaderboard. I was looking this up a couple weeks ago, actually thinking about Otani. And I saw Patrick Sandoval on this list. And I was like, hold up now. This is a leaderboard of best swing and miss pitches minimum of 50 plate appearances. Number one in baseball, Jacob deGrom's slider. No, not a surprise. Number three is Tyler Glasnow's curveball. Number five, Otani's splitter. Uh, number four, Rex Brothers' slider. We might have to get back to that. Number two is Patrick Sandoval's changeup. It is one of the best swing and pitch pitches in baseball. He's thrown it 274 times. He's allowed eight hits. It's his primary pitch. And when I saw that, I started thinking about him. And I'm like, why do I remember that name? Where did I see Patrick Sandoval doing something cool And then I remembered what it was. On June 6th, he had 32 swinging strikes. That stands as the most of any pitcher this year. And if you go back to when StatCast began in 2015, that was the fifth most of any pitcher's game. And you look at the four guys ahead of him. uh, DeGrom did it. Kershaw did it once. Max Scherzer did it once. And also Danny Duffy. Like, those are pretty interesting names. Is he, like, the guy who helps, you know, Mike Trout get to the playoffs next year? 
I don't know. But finally, the Angels have an interesting starter, someone they've desperately needed. And here's to you, Patrick Sandoval. I'm glad I know more about you now. Here, here. Um, for my guy, I want to give Rockies fans maybe a little bit of good news. We spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about the Rockies and it's, you know, been a rough couple of years for them and they're kind of in a low point. But one very quietly, um, Brendan Rogers, who was like their top prospect for a long time and was starting to look like a bust, has been putting together like a pretty nice season. Um, for those who don't recall, he was the number three overall pick in the 2015 draft right after Dansby Swanson and Alex Bregman, one pick ahead of Dylan Tate and uh, two picks ahead of Kyle Tucker. Um, and he was like a guy. Like he was, you know, prospect ratings, top 15, top 20 on, you know, MLB.com, Baseball America, you name it. But in it, like when he debuted in 2019, it was like, oh, this is like, you know, this is going to be the next guy, part of the, the Rockies future. And it just he's been he's been bad he had hit some some injuries but this year it's starting to come together a little bit and you could start to think like okay you can start to see like maybe there's like a player here so um the reason I, I i noticed this i was going through um the baseball savant leaderboards and if you look at the biggest like delta like performance over the last 100 plate appearances versus the previous 100 plate appearance in terms of expected weighted on base he has the biggest um change in baseball right again right ahead of uh Carl, Kyle Schwarber who basically went a month where he hit a home run in uh in every game but like there's some other signs that like this is just like there's something here like his hard hit rate is way up basically you know 10 percentage points what it was at any other point in his career his K rate is way down below 20 percent his chase rate is half of what it was down um last year uh, in a very in a, a very short you know season last year he, he barely played but it was still it's still things like chase Ray, they can those can stabilize fairly quickly so to see a big change there gives you some optimism that the pedigree is maybe transferring into something real um his expected expected weight on base on the season um is a very respectable 342 um and since june 1 he's hitting 284 357 510 I realize that doesn't sound that impressive, but based on the way the Rocky season has gone and the way Brendan Rodgers' major league season, career has gone to date, this has to be seen as nothing but um, a very good sign for the uh, soon-to-be 25-year-old. The, the definition of a post-hype prospect, right? Like we've seen a couple of guys like that, and he's been playing some second base, and if and when they trade Trevor Story, I assume he'll get another shot at shortstop because him turning into, you know, if, if not the next story, at least like a very good player, would be enormous for the Rockies. All right, we like to end each show with a rant and a rave and a take. And here is mine. The All-Star Game uh, is coming up. This is our last show before the All-Star Game. And when the rosters came out, you know, every year someone complains, oh, this guy got snubbed, that guy got snubbed. Sometimes it's true, but mostly it's just there are more good players than spots available. So fine, whatever. But my rant is about this. There should not be an expected correlation between the number of All-Stars uh, from your team and how good your team is playing. I know that sounds weird. You might think, <laughs> hey, I have good players. My team should be doing well. But if you think about you know, two things, right? First of all, the jigsaw of the all-star game puzzle. Like every team needs a representative and some positions are stacked and some are not. Like it gets weird. But the other thing is, is this. If we all learned anything from the angels of the last decade, it's that having a couple of superstars and not much else is not a good way to succeed. And so the complaints I heard mostly came out of the Bay Area because the A's, who are not in first place right now, but have been for much of the season or at least close to it, had one all-star, Matt Olson, who is having a really good year, was selected as a backup first baseman. And the Rangers, who stink, have three all-stars, right? Joey Gallo, Vidal's Garcia. And Kyle Gibson. And I saw A's fans, writers, media members, like just all like up in arms about this. And to that, I say, listen, you know, the Rangers are terrible because they've got these three good guys. And like, I don't think you can argue against any of their cases. A couple of other like semi interesting dudes, like I like, you know, Isaiah Connor Falef and a couple other guys, but they have no depth. They're not, they're not a good team. Meanwhile, the A's and the Rays, by the way, the Rays also only had one representative. Uh, they're not, built on superstars they are built on like tons of interesting above average guys and i don't really care that the rangers have a worse roster a worse record excuse me i will take the depth and the good roster and the fewer all-stars i don't care about the team records in terms of all-star games it's just not how the sausage is made uh rant over i will stick on the uh, with the all-star game for for my rant uh 
on Tuesday night when the players take the field for the All-Star game, you're going to be see them wearing All-Star specific uniforms. This is the first time this has ever happened in baseball. Usually the teams would wear their own uniform, um, you know, home team would wear their home version, road team, you know, uh, road team would wear their road version. And there would be a, a, a special all-star cap in recent years. And that's a, that. even that is a recent addition. Prior to that, you, you people just wear their straight uniform. It was only in recent years they every team had a special all-star cap. This year is a specific all-star uniform. And I can already envision people being up in arms about two things, one of which is the breaking of tradition and the other of which is the uniforms themselves, which when they were released were highly criticized by sports writers on Twitter. What I will say to all this is – you can't criticize, and I realize that I work for Major League Baseball, and <laughs> will will you know you could question my 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 credibility on this, but like you can't say baseball baseball doesn't try new things, which is a common criticism, and then also criticize them when they do try new things. Second of which, the uniforms themselves not really my cup of tea. I would not wear them, you know, out to a game, but they're not meant for me, right? They're meant for like probably geared towards like a younger fan who maybe wants a different look that doesn't look like a traditional baseball uniform. So you got to have to view it through that lens. And it's like, also, it's just a uniform for an exhibition game. <laughs> Let's pick our battles about what we get outraged about people. I'm going to split hairs on this one. I, I agree with you. Like, I don't, I don't mind that there's a custom uniform for the all-star game. Cause you're right. It's one game. It's an exhibition game. It's not like when you and I were kids, you know, and it was like, Oh, cool. The 1993 all-star game. I get to see like, I don't know, a Mariners uniform. Cause I never get, that doesn't really exist so much in the age of social media and every game being televised. So I'm, I'm fine with that part of it. The uniforms are bad. That is the problem I have with it. I don't like them, but I agree with you. Also, we tend to get in our bubble of like, well, how do I feel about it? And let's be honest, you are in your early 40s and I'm getting close to being there. And, you know, we're not young and cool anymore. Not that we ever were. And I was thinking about this, too, when those new era hats came out the other day with like different fonts for each letter. And baseball Twitter had a field day with how terrible they were. I, I couldn't really argue. I think they're terrible. And yet young kids might think that's cool. And isn't that what we're trying to get into here? Trying to get the younger generation. And if they like it, that's fine. I don't have to like it. It's not for me. I am old and decrepit and not terribly cool anymore. Not that we ever were. That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB.